You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. So we'll have it and then have another hymn afterwards and I'll just make a, f- a few words of introduction to the passage before I come to the reading of God's word as we come to consider uh, Rahab. And so in Matthew's genealogy, Rahab is uh, named as an ancestor of the Lord Jesus. Uh, Matthew writes that uh, Salmon was the father of Boaz, by Rahab in there in Matthew chapter 1. And this is one of the places in the Matthew's genealogy where there's a, there's a gap and he collapses the generations. So Boaz comes a couple of hundred years after Salmon and, and Rahab. So he is the, Boaz is the, the, the son of Salmon, um, as in a descendant of Salmon. It's a bit like, it's sometimes used like that. So uh, Joseph is the son of David. Remember that in, in the reading this morning, but it means he was a descendant of David, so there's a, a bit of a gap here. And actually, Rahab's marriage to Salmon is not mentioned outside of Matthew's gospel. And we don't actually know Matthew's source for this. Um, and Salmon is not mentioned in our text tonight in Joshua 2. So Joshua chapter 2 is not about Rahab's marriage to Salmon, it's about Rahab's faith, really. That's the, the center of it. Uh, Rahab is commended for her faith in Hebrews 13 and for her works in James 2.25. She's a, a Gentile woman who stands as an example of faith. One of a number of Gentile uh, non-Jewish women in the genealogy, in Matthew's genealogy. And remember, that ties in with Matthew's great theme that the gospel is going to go to the nations. Think of the end of Matthew's gospel. So we see these uh, Gentile women in the genealogies. And so uh, we come to to consider Rahab. And there's many events um, and elements in this whole account which tie this back into the events of the Exodus and further back into the book of of Genesis. So this account, Joshua 2, happens on the eve of the conquest of the land. Jericho, that first uh, city, which will fall in the conquest into the land. And the account is tied back to God's promise to Abraham that that Israel and the nation would inherit the land. It's all tied back there. And so it's connected to that is this theme of divine judgment on the inhabitants of the land. So God's promise uh, to Abraham and his descendants that they'll inherit the land is connected to the promise that the, the Canaanites and the nation there will not dwell in the land, that they'll be uprooted from the land. And the scripture teaches that the, this complete destruction of the people of the land, this is an act of divine judgment against, uh, against the sin and corruption of the people of that age. A little bit like the flood was a judgment on the corruption of the people. So commonly people would say, oh, this account of the conquest of the land, it's all about ethnic cleansing and it's all very barbaric. Well, actually, as it ties back into previous chapters, we see this is in line with God's divine judgment on the land. And you see that, um, for instance, in um, Genesis 15, when 
the Lord is making his covenant with Abraham, um, he talks about Abraham and his descendants being uh, as a, as slaves in Egypt for a period of land and then coming back to the land. And then the Lord says this, he says, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Talk about the, the people in the land. And so there's a sense as you go through Genesis uh, and Exodus that the, the corruption of the people in the land was, was ripening and was, it was re ready now for divine uh, judgment. So this theme of divine judgment sort of overshadows this part of uh, Joshua, indeed the whole of the book of Joshua. So um, this is an account of Rahab's faith and also an account of her escape from divine judgment. So it, it draws into those themes. And we see many themes as we go through it. You'll pick up themes from other parts of, of Genesis. So the structure of the pa passage is there in four paragraphs. It's quite a, a simple structure. It's a sort of it's the, the journey of the spies who visit Jericho uh, and then return. So it's a story of there and back again. Um, and the center of the, the story is Rahab's house, this house of uh, ill repute, which becomes a house of refuge. And at the center of that is this confession of Rahab as she confesses her faith in the Lord. So let me read the passage. Joshua chapter 2. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan, as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God, in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me that by the Lord, that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign so that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window of 
for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterwards you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and your mother, your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your word, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned and the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came back to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. So we come to Joshua chapter 2, and it breaks into four sections. We start with uh, this first paragraph where Rahab hides the spies and deceives the king of Jericho. Then we come to uh, Rahab's great statement of faith in verses 8 to 14 and this rooftop covenant. And then in 15 to 20, we have Rahab sending the spies back, or make, sending them out to, to hide and sending them back to Joshua. And then that last paragraph is the spies coming back to Joshua, reporting what they've seen. We see really that the faith of the spies have been really strengthened by this visit to a prostitute, which is perhaps not what you expect to happen. So we come to this uh, first section with Rahab hiding the spies and deceiving the king. At verse 1, Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, go, view the land, especially Jericho. So you remember in the book of Numbers how the, the Lord had commanded Moses to send out 12 spies, and they went to spy out the land, and uh, 10 of them were very fearful and brought back this report that the land was good, but the cities there were very strong and the, the people were, were like giants and they seemed like grasshoppers in their eyes. So, so there was this, this bad report and it was only uh, Joshua and Caleb who brought this, this good report that the Lord could actually uh, help, them, help them enter the land and inherit. And now uh, time has moved on and now that, that generation, that wilderness generation has died out and Joshua uh, here now, who's, who's seen the land, sends out secretly some other spies to go before, uh, the, on the, really on the eve of battle, to gather information, to gather intelligence. And we find that uh, they went and came to uh, the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. So they've entered the city of Jericho. Evidently with no difficulty at all. They were a great city which would have had gates. This, what the, the previous spies thought were, were these impregnable fortified cities. Well, the spies have, have got in there with no trouble at all. And they've found their way down to the, uh, perhaps the, the seedier part of town and, and come to the house 
of a prostitute. And so uh, there's a sense in this whole account that uh, both the king of Jericho and this whole city of Jericho really doesn't know what's going on. It's not the people and the inhabitants of the city of Jericho which know what's going on. It's, it's Rahab that actually knows what's going on. But this great city-state, or sit, like the, the city of man, if you think back to the, the cities at the beginning of Genesis, these kind of Canaanite cities, here's this city, but these spies have, have made their way in and come in and got through the defences. And so they come to um, a place to find shelter, a place to find information. Um, were they looking for a place to find sex? Well, we don't know. The, the focus of the passage is certainly on their concealment, concealment and gathering of intelligence. And it's likely that Joshua sent uh, chosen God, godly men for the purpose, but we, we don't know really what happened there. But it focuses really on their concealment. And Rahab's house would be a place where they could gather information, um, be a place with lots of people coming and going, and travellers entering and leaving. Um, a place where their identity would be concealed. It's a, in a way, it's a smart place to go. It's not, they're not sort of rocking up to the Jericho Grand Hotel and signalling their presence in the city. And so verse 3, the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, bring out the men. <clears throat> and Rahab, at great risk to her own life, defies the orders of the king and provides a place of refuge and sanctuary to the spies really at great risk. If she, if she brings them out, they will be uh, executed as foreign spies. She would be spared. If she's been found to be lying, they will be executed, and she's likely to be executed with them. So really this is at great risk to her own life that she, um, that she does this, that she, she hides them. So verse 4, we see that uh, the, the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And then she deceives the agents of the king of Jericho, saying, true, that the men came to me. I didn't know where they were from, and the gate was about to close, and they went out, and I don't know where they've gone. Pursue them quickly. And then verse 6, again we're told that she had hidden them, She's, but she had brought them up on the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax. So three times it's mentioned this, this, that she's been hidden there. And there's, uh, on the roof there's flax drying, so flax would be used for the manufacture of linen, Actually, around it, well, down in Somerset, they used to have flax, which they would uh, have for, for sailcloth, I think, down, down there. But the flax used for linen. And later on, we find her with this crimson cord out of, of the window. So uh, it, it may be that she had sort of this manufacturing business and dyeing, uh, dyeing of linen and that sort of thing going on in the house. So you might say that she's, she's diversified her income. Um, so, so she, but she's brought them here and she hides them really at great uh, cost to, or uh, great risk to her own life. She's hidden them. And so here is Rahab, this uh, Canaanite woman, hiding and protecting these Israelite men who are gaining information for the overthrow of her own city. You see here, so she has, she has changed loyalties. She's changed allegiance. Her allegiance now is with the Lord, and she's, as it were, changed side. She's no longer finding our identity in the city of man, but in, as it were, the city of God, with, with the Lord and with his people. And in hiding the spies, she's acting uh, much like some Israelite women 
earlier in, uh, in, this, in the account or earlier in the Bible. Think of the beginning of the book of Exodus. Think of how Moses' mother hit him. You think back then. So Exodus 2, the king has ordered the death of the Israelite boys. And Moses' mother, we read, she conceived and bore a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took him for a basket made of bulrushes and dashed it, uh, daubed it with bitumen and pitch. So here is Moses hidden, and Pharaoh doesn't know what's going on. And then uh, the child Moses brought into Pharaoh's household, but Pharaoh didn't know what was happening. So, so salvation there is in the midst of Egypt, and here she's hiding these uh, men. And similarly, as she deceives uh, the king of, of Jericho and deceives these agents, Pharaoh was this evil tyrant who himself was deceived. Remember the account with the, the Hebrew midwives. He told them that if a baby boy would be born, that they should be killed. And, and the, the Hebrew midwives you know, said that, well, it, it's, we, the, boy, the babies are born before we get there. The, the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. This sort of, she has a jab at the Egyptian women. But they, they lie and they deceive. And, and to the it results in the protection of these Israelite children. And so Rahab here is acting very much like a, a faithful Israelite woman. And so there's a theme here which runs through the scriptures uh, about the, the deception of the tyrant and the deception of the agents of Satan, the deception of those who are seeking to crush uh, the Messiah and crush uh, crush the, these, these faithful Israelites. So you remember right at the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 3, um, Eve was deceived by the serpent. She says, uh, the serpent deceived me and I ate. But in the unfolding of, of the plan of salvation, the ro roles are reversed. We have the daughters of Eve deceiving the serpent in order to protect the promised offspring. Now I think sometimes we get, we get tied up in the the ethics of the thing, we, we, we think, well, hang on, they're lying. And, and we sort of run off and sort of get into an ethical discussion about um, whether that's right or wrong. And the scripture says, you know, do not lie. And we're to be shrewd as serpents, but innocent as doves. Now, this is a sort of wartime situation here. Um, but, and, and Rahab is not uh, commended for her deception. But nevertheless, there's this storyline in the scriptures whereby uh, there is misdirection and tyrants who get tricked. Think uh, tomorrow, uh, next Sunday, we'll be looking at Herod. Do you remember how Herod uh, was tricked or by the wise men? There's misdirection there. And he doesn't, he's trying to destroy um, the Christ, but he, he doesn't do it, and they, they slip away. And so there's that theme through the scriptures of uh, Satan who deceived himself being deceived and overthrown. And it's rather wonderful to see how, how the Lord's purposes are working out and gives us great confidence, I think, that, um, that the Lord is working out his purposes, even though the, the rulers of this age and the kings of the earth think that their plans are going to come about, but actually we find it's the Lord's plans and his purposes which ultimately come about. So I think this gives us great confidence, and it also it's wonderful storytelling, isn't it, to see how this all works. And so um, the spies are concealed 
and she directs the pursuers uh, the wrong way. They go the wrong way. And so the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as uh, the fords. Um, and I think there's a bit of an echo there. Remember, uh, Egypt's army, Pharaoh's armies, pursue after the people all the way to the Red Sea in vain. And here they're pursuing after them, but yet in vain, because they've been saved safe by the Lord. So here we're meant to see that you know, they're pursuing the wrong way. Here is the city of man, the, the city of Jericho, really outwitted. Jericho confused. These great fortified cities that Israel had been in such fear of, the Lord is sovereign over them. He'd managed to direct these spies uh, for whatever their own intentions were. They came into the house of a woman who was actually seeking the Lord and really able to, to help them. We see God's sovereign control over these things. And then we come to this extraordinary statement of faith in um, 8 to 14. As Rahab says, I know that the Lord, she uses the, the covenant name of God, she knows his name, I know that the Lord has given you the land. And here we see this Canaanite woman, she really understands the Abrahamic promise and believes the Abrahamic promise better than the Israelites themselves do. And as by the end of it, they go back, these spies, these Israelite men go back, encouraged to Joshua, saying, well, and now we know that the Lord has given us the land. They go back really encouraged by Rahab's faith. So she really understands this better than the Israelites do, certainly better than, remember the previous generation who was so, so fearful and didn't think that they could inherit. Here is a Canaanite woman with great faith. She knows the, the name of the Lord and she understands something of this Abrahamic promise. And she says that, and she says that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Well, how does she know? Well, verse 10, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you. They'd, they'd heard about that. She'd heard about that um, when they came out of Egypt. He was about, he dried up the waters of the Red Sea. He was about to dry up the waters of the Jordan. Another echo back, um, the drying up of the waters of the Red Sea, sort of coming out of Egypt and the the, the passing of the waters of the Jordan, there's sort of another sort of bookend as this, which ties the account back to the account of the Exodus. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, and Sihon and Og, you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, she's heard it again, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. So she has this great faith, but notice her faith in the Lord is actually based on what God has done in history. It's based on uh, these historical events and really the, the revelation of God about his promise to um, that they will inherit the land. So her faith there was not a, a leap in the dark. She didn't just wake up with faith in the God of Israel. She had seen and heard what he had done in history. And I think it's helpful just to see the, the character and the nature of Rahab's faith. That's just instructive about the character and the nature of faith, that it's not a leap in the dark, uh, that it's not, faith is not an innate capability that some people have and other people don't. You know, sometimes people say that, that, I wish I had your faith, as if faith was something like an innate musical capability or something like that. Uh, well, when people say that, I wish I had your faith, well, so, well, come and read the scriptures, come and see what God has done, come and look at the Lord Jesus, that his, his life, his death, and resurrection and they'll, they'll probably say well I, I don't wish I had your faith that much at that point but but you see faith 
is based on what God has done in history. It's not sort of suspended in midair. It's rooted here. And Rahab's faith was that. She was the one who actually knew what was going on. Uh, when the rest of the, the city, when the rest of Jericho were running about, they didn't really know what was happening. So verse 11 um, comes to this great confession. Um, as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. There's no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. So up there, up on the roof, um, over, over the sort of the city, the city's down there, she's up on the roof, she can see um, all around and she confesses faith in the God who made uh, the heavens and the earth. He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. So she knows what is going on. It's very different from, remember Pharaoh, who at the beginning said, who is the Lord? Well, she knows who the Lord is. She knows what he has done. And so she has this great faith. She sees um, what, what God has done. And so she asks for kindness. Verse 12. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign. And it's the same word. This is the word which comes up quite a lot in the book of Ruth. God's covenant kindness, his hesed, his, his kindness and love, which is based on this covenant relationship. So she's really asking there to, to come into this. She wants to be part of this covenant people of God and to experience uh, this kindness. And she wants this escape, this rescue with her father and father's house and extended family. We see her, her love for her family members and extended family. And so asks for a sign that they'll be spared from the coming judgment, that they'll be sheltered and be kept safe. And so we see that sign is given in that next section as we come to verse 15 through uh, to 20. We move from this great confession up on the roof to the departure uh, through the window. And uh, through the window, she doesn't send the spies back through the bustling, crowded streets of Jericho, but she's in the city wall, so they go out there uh, through the window. And again, she, she helps them and gives them advice to, to run to, to, the, to the hills three, and stay in the hills three days. And there's, I think there's an echo back to the Genesis story of, um, with Lot and the, the escape there to the, to the hills there. And again, we find um, that Rahab is, she's really energetic. You have this confession of faith, but actually then she's, she's bustling about actually helping. Her faith is overflowing with works, and it's her works that in the letter of James are, are commended. So her faith is commended in the book of Hebrews, and her works in the letter of James. And that's instructive, I think, as well, that, that how our, our, our faith in the Lord it should outwork in, in good works. And her good works are directed to helping the people of God who are there in danger and in trouble. And remember God's promise to, to Abraham that those who bless you, I will bless. So here is uh, Rahab blessing the Israelite spies, and then she in turn is blessed. So she helps them uh, out on the window and down on the rope and advises them to go to the hills, and then they're to tie this scarlet cord, this red cord in the window. And uh, if they're in the house, then with this sign, they'll be safe from the coming judgment. Now, what does this 
remind you of as you think back to the events of the Exodus with this red sign, this cord hanging and safety and protection from judgment. It's reminiscent, isn't it, of those great events of the Passover when, when judgment fell on Egypt that the Israelites were delivered, they were protected because the, the, the blood was on the, the doorposts and that was a sign for them and the Lord, that divine judgment passed over them and they were protected and similarly uh, Rahab and all in her, who were gathered there in her house with this sign, this red cord, it's, a, it's an echo back to Passover, this Canaanite woman with her family and extended family have come in to that place of refuge and place of protection. So I think there's this echo back to, uh, to Exodus there. So there, she comes unto the, the protection of, of the Lord here, and then the, the men return, the spies return, just that last paragraph, 22 to 24. They report what's happened with great excitement. True, the Lord has given the land into our hands, and they, they melt away in fear because of us. And so they've come to believe more deeply because of uh, Rahab's faith. They've been protected because of Rahab. And so, um, so it comes, and we, we can see it in chapter 6 of Joshua, that when judgment does fall on Jericho, this terrible judgment on the people, uh, all, Rahab and all in her father's household are saved. They are delivered. They're, they're brought out by Joshua and by people they're brought out beforehand, and they are delivered. And then as we see in Matthew's gospel, uh, in time she is incorporated, Rahab is incorporated into the people of God, becomes uh, an Israelite, dwells among them, um, and she uh, ends up, she marries Salmon. And then she is, is used by the Lord to be an ancestor of the Messiah. It's extraordinary, isn't it, that she is, uh, has this great faith, and then she's delivered, and then she's incorporated into the people of God, and then through her, great blessing comes and flows, and she's experienced forgiveness and enormous blessing. She's moved from being a, a prostitute in a Canaanite city to being a, a beloved and a highly esteemed and respected uh, woman in Israel. It's extraordinary to see uh, how the Lord has blessed her. And through Rahab and through one of her descendants, salvation will come to the world and the Lord will work out his purposes and his promises. So it's an extraordinary story, isn't it, of Rahab's faith? And, and what do we learn as we, we gather these things together? Well, first of all, she's, a, she's an example of this great faith. She's a woman of faith, and she trusts in the Lord. Here is a woman, when all sorts of confusion is going on around her, she knows what is going on, and she has faith in the Lord, who is uh, the God of heaven and earth. And she, uh, on the basis of, of that faith, um, that issues forth in energetic action and activity to bless the people of God. That's, that's what it happens, isn't it? She's there uh, bustling away, uh, trying to help and to bless the people of God. Here she is, she's changed allegiance. She's serving the kingdom of God. So she's an example of faith. She's also an example of good works. Again, practical godliness. Think of 1 Timothy, how much of 1 Timothy we've seen is all about sort of the, the godliness working out in practical ways for, for friends and, and for, for households and for families. She, she um, is an example of that, of faith and of works. Um, and this whole passage is also an example of salvation from the coming judgment, isn't it? It's, it's really quite stark 
passage in many ways, particularly if you read on to chapter 6. Rahab is saved from uh, the coming judgment. She finds this place of shelter, just like Israel at the Passover. She finds shelter from divine judgment as she is brought into God's people. And that really is the message of the gospel, isn't it? That as we come to Christ, as we put our faith in Christ, salvation in Christ means salvation from the coming judgment. That God has promised a day when he will judge the world in, in judgment by the man he's appointed by Jesus Christ um, in righteousness, and yet has promised a, a place of protection and safety to all who run to the refuge, which is Jesus Christ. It is Christ himself who is our Passover lamb. And so it's, it's quite, and in here this is in the genealogy of, of, of the Lord Jesus. So as we come towards Christmas and as we enjoy the sights and the sounds and the smells of Christmas, we remember why Christ Jesus came into the world. He came into the world to save sinners and he came to save us from the coming judgment. It's a, this stark message, really, uh, that we see here. The gospel is, is good news, but we don't really see the, the good news of the gospel without considering that God is the, the righteous God who will bring judgment on all unrighteousness. And so how much we need salvation, how much we need to find a place of shelter and find Jesus Christ. So we, uh, we don't put a red cord outside our, our windows or find salvation like that. We come to Jesus Christ and we are incorporated with his people and are made and are safe in Christ. And so really there's a, there's a call for that and, and, and Rahab is an example of one who is outside the covenant people of God and yet she has been brought in. And we think of Matthew's gospel at the end of it, this great call that this gospel of salvation would go out to the nations. And so that is our, our task. Uh, we are to be uh, the people of God holding out this word of Christ, word of salvation to many in the, in the, the cities around us who, don't, uh, who are in confusion and perhaps especially so at this time in great confusion and, and difficulty. But I think when we see uh, Rahab and how she's included in the people of God, we just see the wonderful grace of God at work, don't we? So Rahab is brought in. She was this, this prostitute in this Canaanite city. She's brought in and brought not only to a place of safety, but she's really brought to a place of great uh, dignity in the people of God. And that is... That is the gospel, isn't it? How, how the Lord works. That when the, I mean, think of the New Testament, when the Gentiles are finally brought in to the people of God, they're brought in uh, not as second-class citizens, but they're brought in as, as citizens of the people of God, as full, fully belonging to Christ and his people. And it's extraordinary. So, so Rahab, what, she wasn't brought in and and they, you know, Joshua didn't say to her, well, you can be a part of God's people, but you go and sit over there because you're, you're not really one of us. Eventually, she's, she's actually fully included uh, within the people of God. And that is the, the great news of the gospel, that people come from messy backgrounds, complicated backgrounds, sinful backgrounds, are brought in and washed clean and become members of the people of God, brothers and sisters with the rest of us. Um, no second-class citizens in the people of God. And then God uses people who've come from those broken, difficult backgrounds to then bring a blessing to others. It's extraordinary. It's just the grace of God to, to Rahab. We see the grace of God in the gospel as she's this 
ancestor of the Messiah. And finally, we just see how God works out his plan of salvation in uh, history with just great wisdom. God's plan of salvation here, uh, overthrowing the, the city of man, um, th this king of Jericho being deceived and his people being protected. And we see that um, worked out through the gospel. We've seen, thought a bit about that, how the Lord Jesus was protected from Herod. But we see that all the way through the gospel, that actually uh, God has triumphed through the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, the, and Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians, he, he says that we speak, as we speak of the gospel, we speak of the mysterious and the hidden wisdom of God at which he destined for our glory before time began, and says this, that none of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross, and the rulers of this age thought this, this was their moment of great victory, but they were deceived. It was the moment of God's triumph, of God's victory, of God's salvation working out. And so that gives us great confidence as we, we look back and see how God has worked out his plans and his purposes through salvation history, that as we look forwards, whatever's happening in the nations of the world, whatever the plans and the schemes of the nations of the world, whatever darkness there may be, that God is working out his purposes and his plans through the many scattered cities of our world to bless his people, to incorporate people into the, the people of God and to extend his kingdom. And he's doing that uh, in our very midst, in our own city, as he works to bring about this gospel of salvation. And who would have thought, what a strange way to save the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet, uh, God has chosen this way uh, in his great wisdom to, to save the world and through the cross of Jesus Christ. So we rejoice in Christ as we close. We rejoice in the gospel of the Lord. We rejoice in, um, in God's providence, in his wisdom, and in his sovereign purposes. And so I'm going to pray, and then we'll sing um, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. The, the walls of Jericho came tumbling down, and yet we have a mighty fortress in our God. Let me pray. You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at gloucesterpres.co.uk. For more, thank you.